All right, welcome back to the Sports Med Analytics Podcast. I am Deepak Chona. Thank you so much for joining. Now, we have a ton to talk about, and fantasy season is right around the corner. So let's dive right in. We will start with Cooper Cup, one of the biggest injuries of the offseason. Now, they're saying he's going to return from this hamstring likely this week. That would essentially confirm that this was a grade one or a low severity strain. Therefore, it's highly likely that he's 100% of himself by week one. There is a 15% re-injury risk for the global hamstring diagnosis taken as a whole for the season. But because it's grade one, you would expect that to be a little bit lower uh, than that 15% average. Now, he is hitting 30 and Cooper Cup as a result does have a little bit higher of a re-injury risk for the season than, than a younger player with this injury. The thing to keep in mind, though, with Cooper Cup, for me, I'm passing on him in round one, and that has less to do with him than it does with Matthew Stafford. Stafford is a pocket-based QB, not going to be running around a lot, and as a result, he is heavily dependent on his O-line to keep him healthy. And pocket QBs, their durability for in-season correlates very strongly with the O-line play in our data sets, and therefore... He's considered a high-risk player for the year. And as a result, that's why I would pass on Cooper Cup this early in drafts. And then we have Titans' Traylon Burks. Now, he sprained his LCL, that's a ligament on the outside of the knee. And the good part about that is that it is not a surgical injury in most cases. Now, the average timeline here is two to four weeks from the injury itself. And that would put him at four weeks would be right around the start of week one. So we it's to be determined, but we would lean towards him playing week one. The performance dip on these does usually last about six weeks from the injury. So it's likely week three, approximately, where you're seeing a full healthy Traylon Brooks. But I do expect to see him out there before that. And then we have Javante Williams. Now, this is really an uplifting player for any major injured athlete. This He's been a heavy outlier so far. The average timeline on these is 15 months. J.K. Dobbins did it in 13. And Javante is only at 10 right now, and he looks like he's basically back. Now, we do typically see a 20% efficiency dip when players do return from this type of multi-ligament knee injury. Of course, there is also an elevated minor injury risk for the first six weeks when players return. So there's a little bit of warning signs here, but overall, we we do expect to see Javante Williams play much better than that 20% projected efficiency dip. He's been an outlier so far, and he looks like he's far ahead of schedule. So uh, we are drafting Javante Williams at ADP right now, and not planning on necessarily starting him as an RB1 the first few weeks. The average timeline to ramp up snap counts and touches for young running backs off of knee surgery takes about three games. But Javante Williams, a lot of reason for optimism so far. And then we have Devon A-Chain in Miami. Now, his mechanism, looking at the video, suggests an AC joint sprain or a partial dislocation of his shoulder. Now, In either case, the short-term outcomes are generally fine. He would very likely be returning near 100% by week one. The key, though, is the AC joint has 
relatively low re-injury risk. If he did have a partial dislocation of his shoulder, that would carry some risk as we go throughout the year. Just because it, it causes, when you have a partial dislocation, it causes some of the stabilizing structures called the labrum to be torn. And it makes the shoulder a little less stable inherently over the course of the year. Now, with that being said, again, either case, we're likely seeing him 100% by week one. And then we have a couple guys on the 49ers. So starting with George Kittle, he is reportedly returning to practice this week. That timeline essentially confirms that this is a grade one injury, a low severity injury, and therefore that he's highly likely to be 100% by week one. Now, the key with George Kittle, he's had some groin strains in the past, and as a result, the combination of this particular injury plus his history leads us to project about a 20% re-injury risk for George Kittle. So it's a little bit hard to justify George Kittle at ADP with other similar tight ends who have less target competition and a lower re-injury risk. So for me, I will be passing at this point. And then we have Brock Purdy. Now, no limitations are expected on him. He's, of course, he's played and practiced. He's no longer resting in between practices, which is positive. And we expect the return of his full throwing ability. If not now, then certainly by week one. The key with Brock Purdy to keep in mind is that in baseball, when players come back from this, when pitchers come back from this, they are able to regain their full throwing velocity and control. So they actually, because of their motion, they actually strain this repaired ligament more than Brock Purdy will while throwing a football. So we really have a strong expectation for Brock Purdy to be very near what he was, 100% of what he was before getting injured. And then a couple of injured Panthers. Now, starting with Miles Sanders, this status is to be determined, but we would lean towards him playing week one because this is a soft tissue injury in a player who's had multiple soft tissue injuries before at a high risk position. Miles Sanders is going to be an elevated re-injury risk for in-season this year, and that's going to last for the entirety of the year for the most part. So uh, solid player, but with that re-injury risk, probably looking elsewhere in redraft leagues. Then we have Terrace Marshall. Now, he had a pretty bad-looking back injury, but the comments so far out of the Panthers camp suggest that it was a structurally stable injury to his spine. Usually, these are what are called uh, spinous process or transverse process fractures, and the name of them sort of tells the story in that they, although structurally stable, are very painful. And... Uh, with that being said, there is usually a good ability to return within two weeks at the earliest. would really be pushing it. We saw James Winston do that last year. He did have a lot of uh, performance dip as a result. Uh, with a wide receiver, they're taking more hits. They're doing a lot of rotational mo- movements with their with their spine and with their torso. And as a result, it takes a little bit longer for them to recover their performance. It's usually a six to eight week dip post injury. With that being said, we do lean towards him being available for week one. And then we have Sterling Shepard. Now he is playing, but truthfully the data is somewhat stacked against him, unfortunately. And that's because 
if you look at his injury history, he had an Achilles tear, which for wide receivers generally causes a two-year drop in performance. And then he had an ACL last year when he came back from the Achilles, which is terrible luck because that causes another one-year dip in performance. So based on sort of his timelines and the data, he's actually currently in the middle of both. So although we're seeing some positive headlines so far, and we do expect Sterling Shepard to recover his performance trajectory by the start of the following season, we are tempering expectations at this time. And then we have Shaq Barrett. Now, he we are rooting for him, especially after his personal tragedy of losing his young daughter. But off of the Achilles, it's a pretty hard injury for a pass rusher to come right back to 100%. We likely will see him have a step lost for the entirety of this first year back. He's at nine months right now, and it would be hard to imagine this being 100% before 15. So likely getting back to normal next year. But this year, while we do expect to see him playing, not usually a hugely productive player. And then we have a couple of Lions. Low concern on both. First, Amonra St. Brown. Now, his, his comments suggested that he had a, a low ankle sprain. He was taping it up, trying to get back into the practice, actually. And while he didn't do that successfully, he that, that whole process suggests that it's not a high-severity injury. Low ankle sprains are very common for wide receivers. They don't tend to cause a lot of missed time or performance hit. So overall, a lot of reason for optimism on Amon Ra. And then Jamison Williams. Now, of course, he, he's been in the headlines, not for great reasons uh, from his coach, saying he needed some more work. And then now he's got this hamstring issue. With Jamison Williams, the key to keep in mind is that even the severe hamstring strains cost about six weeks. And with Jameson Williams, he's going to be suspended the first six games anyway. So while we would have preferred to see him get his preseason work in like normal, it's not the end of the world. And then we have Jalen Waddell. Now, the return on an oblique injury at this time of year is generally taken a little bit slowly. And it's kind of true of any muscle strain. The, the thing to keep in mind is that a grade one injury during the season would likely take one to two weeks for a player. And it's managed in the preseason or the training camp as as if it were one step above or if, if it were a grade two injury, meaning a two to four week issue. So if you see a player come back at two weeks from a muscle strain in the preseason, like we're talking about with Cooper Cup, George Kittle, you have to essentially assume that that's a very low severity injury. And so we're we're watching the timeline on Jalen Waddle. We are expecting to see him back at 100% for week one. And these don't have a high recurrence risk. So overall, a lot of reason for optimism here. And then one guy to wrap up who we are not totally fading. He's a post-hype sleeper, Gabe Davis. Now he has essentially the same role that he did last year. And he was being drafted about 20 spots higher last year than he is right now but if you look at last year you you have to first factor in that he had an injury himself he had a pretty severe high ankle sprain that typically causes about a four-week drop in in wide receiver production and then when he was starting to come back and uh, recover from that injury 
then Josh Allen sprained his elbow. And it was a pretty significant elbow sprain. And if you look at the tape, in addition to Josh Allen's comments, you can see that he turned his motion to a more overhead throwing motion. And that's because it, it puts less strain on that elbow. But the point of all that is to say there's almost certainly a hit to your performance if you're having to throw in a different position than you're used to. And the numbers did show that for Josh Allen. It caused his QBR post-injury to dip by 10 points. It was 75 pre-injury and then 10 po- uh, 65 post-injury. And if you look at his wide receivers, his number one target, Stefan Diggs, was averaging 107 yards per game before Josh Allen's injury, only 67 yards per game after. So that 40-yard-per-game drop on Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen's drop of 10 in his QBR and his visibly different throwing motion all contributes to a really murky picture on if you look at Gabe Davis's previous year. So as a result, we're not, we're not saying that Gabe Davis is a superstar. We're just saying that you can't use last year as any sort of meaningful predictor for Gabe Davis as a result of his injury and Josh Allen's injury. And therefore, especially if you were drafting him last year at this time, I understand the emotional burden of, of being burned. But rationally, I think Gabe Davis is so worth a shot, especially at ADP. And that's all we have for today. If you have other questions, go to our website, sportsmedanalytics.com. Most of them will be answered there. But if you can't find it there, hit us up on Twitter at SportMDAnalysis and Instagram at SportsMedAnalytics. And until next time, keep winning those leagues.